0: Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in a, uh, a time of year that's kind of surrounded by Christmas. And so today we're starting a new Christmas series called Unwrapping Christmas, Because if you're like me, Christmas can start a little early for us sometimes, right? I think the earliest I saw Christmas decorations this year was like the middle of October in the stores, right? And that can feel a little early. It can feel a little commercialized. And if we're not careful, the glossy exterior of Christmas will make it really hard for us to celebrate what's really important during this time. So very purposely, very intentionally, we're going to unwrap Christmas on Sunday mornings and give you an idea of what Scripture is describing when it's describing Christmas. Now, it doesn't mean we can't celebrate the other ways, right? Uh, we can celebrate with gifts and we can celebrate with Christmas carols and with the uh, with the festivities of the season. But at some point, it's important for us to remember why we're doing what we're doing. It's like saying the 4th of July is all about fireworks. Now, fireworks can be a very important part of 4th of July, but it's not the reason we have this holiday, this holy day set aside. It's like saying that uh, Birthdays are about cake. That one's probably more accurate, but still, it's not the reason we have that day set aside. And so for Christmas, we want to unwrap Christmas on Sunday mornings. We're going to start in 1 John chapter 1. So a couple of different ways you can follow us. The screens will have some scripture for you that you can follow along. You have an outline that will have some scripture. And then if you have the Bible app, if you go to the events section... ...and just search, it'll pull up our notes for today's service. So we're going to begin in First John chapter 1 and the first four verses. We're going to read these and kind of unpack them as we go this morning. First John chapter 1 and verse 1 says this. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning... ...whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands... He is the word of life. All right, class, who is he talking about here? We're talking about Jesus, right? We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. John is saying, we saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. Verse 2, this one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. That last sentence in verse 2 is the Christmas story. He was with the Father, and now and then he was revealed to us. That's Jesus being born to us a Savior. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, we are writing these things so that yet you may fully share our joy. So in your notes, we're going to share two really um, distinctive elements about Christmas. And then we're going to share what that gifts you in your life once you're able to embrace these things. So first of all, what is Christmas? Christmas is doctrinal. Everybody say that phrase with me. Ready, begin. Christmas is doctrinal. What we mean by doctrinal is, doctrine is a set of beliefs that are held and taught by our faith. And at the very crux of it, Christmas is doctrinal. It's all about this word incarnation. Even the songs that we sing during the Christmas time are telling about this event where God put on human flesh... And became one of us. The word incarnation actually means to take on flesh. So here was God, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and um, God the Son, Jesus Christ. And on Christmas, what we're celebrating is when God put on human flesh. That's the incarnation. And that is something that helps us understand that it's doctrinal. It's doctrinal in its core. Look at verse 2 again. It says this. This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then he was revealed to us. Now we're using the doctrine word on purpose because doctrine can get a bad rap. Doctrine can be very, very negative in its connotations. Doctrine or dogma denotes being narrow or rigid or closed-minded. People that hold to strong doctrines can be uh, not open to reason, not able to listen to others. Yet doctrine is a belief that we base our lives on, and it's something we contend for, we insist on. And from the beginning, doctrine is a faith position. What we mean by that is this, the things that we believe are things that we may not be able to prove scientifically, may not be able to prove um, um, wholeheartedly in view of science, but it's something we commit our lives to, something we commit ourselves to, we base our lives on. It's something we push, we contend with with other people over. That's doctrine. And here's the thing, we're all doctrinal. We are all doctrinal when it comes to the way we live our lives. We just have different doctrines we're holding on to. So all of us, from the very core of who we are, we have these doctrines. We have these assumptions about God. We have these assumptions about eternity or human nature or moral truths. And we bet our lives on them. We press for them. And there's no way for any of us to avoid being doctrinal. And it distinguishes us. Now it's interesting because this idea of incarnation, depending on your worldview, um, you can come at it from a couple of different ways. For instance, if you're part of, um, uh, if, if maybe you're from a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Eastern uh, religion, well, incarnation is normal. It's normal for deities to put on flesh, because God is the divine spark in everything, and therefore incarnation is normal and it's in all sorts of people and things. In fact, that when you die, you will be reincarnated. You see that word is embedded in that word? Incarnation is Um, re-embedded. We would come back as something else. And so for some Eastern religions, when they think about incarnation, it's pretty normal. It's the way of life. Something dies, it'll come back in another place or in another figure, depending on how you lived your life and how uh, how your morals were, you'll come back as something else. So for some religions, incarnation is pretty normal for other religions like um, let's say uh, muslims or even the uh, the judaic faith incarnation is impossible and so for jesus to say he's god is blasphemous it's absolutely blasphemous and so while people might respect him as a teacher might respect him as a moral man they'll also say he's a little crazy because he cannot be god right? So depending on your worldview, depending where you're coming from, you can come to this idea of incarnation from a couple of different postures. But Christianity is unique. It doesn't say incarnation is normal, but it also doesn't say it's impossible. And for this reason, Christmas at its core is a very doctrinal holiday. We're celebrating the holiday where Jesus took on flesh in order to become human, so Christmas is doctrinal, but also, if you're taking notes, it's historical. Say that with me. Ready, begin. Christmas is historical. Christmas is not just about doctrine. It's also historical. Look at what John says in verse 1. He says this, proclaim, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, one we have heard and seen. And then at, look at this. We saw him with our own eyes. We touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. It's interesting how people talk about when they uh, see a celebrity or someone famous and when they meet a celebrity or someone famous. Those are two different things, am I right? To see someone famous and to meet someone famous are two different things. You can go to a concert by fill in the blank of whatever musical guest you would like to. Um, but if you're among 50,000 people in a stadium seeing that person, did you meet him? Did you meet her? No. Uh, I remember when I was like 20 years old, I went home for a weekend from Bible college. And I was, uh, I was living about two hours away from Southern California. And I went home for the weekend because there was a lot of laundry. And that's, <laughs> that's what you do. I needed some homemade chicken curry. I needed some coconut rice, and I needed some laundry done. So I went home for the weekend, I remember, um, and on that Saturday morning, I met with my pastor, and uh, Pastor uh, Dwight and I, we went to, uh, we would go invite people to church, we'd visit people who were sick, that kind of thing, and it was a time for me to just kind of get mentored for a little while. Um, so our church was in Newport Beach, California, and so we would go over there. Uh, I, w- I met him there at the church, and then uh, we drove over, over off of... Um, Bison, probably. Uh, No, MacArthur. We came off of MacArthur, and there is a Fletcher Jones Mercedes-Benz dealership there. And for some reason, my pastor really liked to get coffee there. So we went there to get coffee, and then we're going to make our visits. We got there. We were coffee. Uh, We're standing in the line to get coffee. And then in the service area, about 20 feet away, we looked, and there was a guy about six foot eight. And we looked up, and we're like, hmm. And I knew exactly who that was. (laughs) Because, um, because I'm a basketball fan, but his hair um, was different colors. He had big sunglasses on, so no one would be able to see what was going on in his eyes. And sure enough, it was Dennis Rodman right over there. And I was content to see him and not meet him. I'm going to be honest with you. I was content. And our pastor was like, we should invite him to church. And I said, we should what? <laughs> Like, do you know who Dennis Rodman is? Like, and this was about probably 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And so who knows when he had gone to bed, if he had gone to bed. And I thought this was not a very wise thing to do. But he was my pastor. So I said, sure, let's go. And I just walked right behind my pastor. Uh, We went over to Dennis Rodman and we said, hey, Dennis, can we buy you a cup of coffee? And he said, sure. He gave the service guy his keys and he went over and he sat down with us. And we probably sat down for like 10 minutes. And, uh, you know, just exchanged pleasantries. And then my pastor, sure enough, uh, sure enough said, hey, I I actually pastor the church, the Liberty Baptist Church over here. And I would love to invite you to our service tomorrow. You can be my special guest. Um, I won't say exactly what Dennis said after that um, because I'm a pastor and I don't use those kind of words. Um, And he said something or other, And then my pastor said, you know what, way more important than church. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you, do you know God? Do you have a relationship with him? And at that point, our time was up. And, uh, and Dennis very politely excused us from the conversation. But I can say that I've been to a ton of basketball games in my life, and I have seen them from afar. But in that moment, I could say I met Dennis Rodman. What John is saying is this. This is not a theoretical Conclusion we're making based on seeing Jesus afar off. He's saying, We heard, we saw him, we touched him with our own hands, he is the word of life. Not only is he saying that, that this idea of Jesus and, and believing in Jesus, not only is Christmas doctrinal, but it's also historical. These things actually happen. These are not legends. These are not stories in a fairy tale. These are historical accounts that actually happened. So when we get to Christmas, let us not be confused that by saying, oh, well, it's just about this, uh, this story that once upon a time or a fairy tale like, don't do that to your children. Don't do that to yourself. We must make it clear that when we're celebrating Christmas, it's as if you're celebrating my birthday, which is May 18th, by the way. You're celebrating someone who actually has born and is living. And when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating something that recognizes the day Jesus was born. Christmas is doctrinal, but it's also historical. It's the day that Christmas is being celebrated, the manger, the resurrection, the story of Jesus. These are not stories in the sense of telling a tale. They're actually happened. They actually happened in history. Now, here's the one thing Christmas presses on us, is is the fact that because it's historical, we must take these accounts as eyewitness accounts. In fact, when you read modern fiction, often authors will throw away details that give a realistic sense, but ancient legends were never like that. For instance, if you picked up a novel today, you would expect them to chronicle the days and the evenings. You would expect them to tell you what time so-and-so is meeting with so-and-so, because that's modern fiction. Ancient uh, ancient legends and myths did not write with that kind of accuracy unless it was a historical account. So for example, in John chapter six, there's a story of Jesus walking on the water, and it says something like this: When they had rowed three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching. Now you may not be an expert in ancient literature, but if you think about the Iliad or you think about the Odyssey, there's no way Homer would say, and Achilles met Hector in combat, and they were three or three and a half miles away from the wall of Troy. They didn't write like that in ancient literature. Ancient legends did not put that kind of details to develop plot or character. And so when when, when the gospels are being written and we have this kind of accuracy that says they were three or three and a half miles out, when there's people being recorded, when names and where people are from are being recorded, what John is saying is, man, I felt him, I saw him, these things really happened, I was there, we were this far apart. Every one of those details go to the fact that these are historical truths, By the way, if they were all lies, if they were all legends, they'd be some really dumb lies. They'd be some really dumb lies. Here's why. These accounts were written within the lifetime of people who were alive to be able to see those things happen. So if these were lies, if you're going to write that 500 people saw Jesus rise from the dead in the Kidron Valley, you would wait 40 or 50 years so everyone would die. You would write it 100 years later when everyone who lived in that valley at that time was dead. If you falsely write that 500 people saw Jesus and lots of people were still living in the valley, your claim would be disputed, right? The point of Christmas is that Jesus really lived and he really died. It happened. These things happened. Happen. Now you may say, well, what is the big deal about Jesus actually being born? Here's why it's so important. You may say that you like the teachings of Jesus. You may say that you like these stories and the meanings of these stories is to love one another. And so as long as I love one another, the doctrine doesn't really matter. The historical context doesn't matter. All I get from Jesus is that I should love someone, and that's all that's important. Well, if that's what you uh, if that's what your doctrine is you are holding a doctrine that says you can be justified by works. When someone says that, they're saying it doesn't matter that Jesus actually lived. We should have lived and died the death we should have died. All that matters is that we can follow his teaching. That is a doctrine that says, I'm not so bad that I need someone to come and be good for me. I can become good on my own. The gospel is not that Jesus came to the earth, tells us how to live, we live a good life, and now God owes us a blessing. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came to the earth, lived the life we should have lived, died the, die, the death we should have died. So when we believe in him, we're accepted and give, live a life full of grateful joy with him. In other words, if these things didn't happen, we can't be saved by those actions that never happened. So the doctrine of Christmas is that Jesus came, and if he didn't come, boy, Christmas would be this this time of year that would just crush you. Because if Jesus never actually came, we wouldn't want to be anywhere these Christmas stories are. We wouldn't want to be sacrificing. We want to be humble. We don't want to be loving as these stories encourage us. Because all that will do is crush us to the ground. Because if it isn't true that John saw him, heard, and felt him, that Jesus really came to do these things, well, then Christmas is just an inspiring story built on falsehoods. But here's the truth. It's doctrinal and it's historical. It has to be those two things. Now, verses 3 and 4 tell us that if we grasp this idea that Christmas is doctrinal... That our faith revolves around this idea that the incarnation happened, that God put on human flesh, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless, perfect life, and because of his life... Um, he is able to be the perfect substitute for us. And now when he dies on the cross, he is dying the death that we deserve. When he was buried and when he was uh, put in the tomb and when he resurrected, he conquered death, sin, the grave, shame, guilt, all of those things. If you believe it's doctrinal, but you also believe that it's historical, that Jesus was a real person, that Mary and Joseph were real people that actually lived. If it's doctrinal and historical, it'll gift you two realities this Christmas. Number one, it'll gift you this reality that Christmas will make you realize your need for a Savior. Imagine going the whole Christmas season celebrating it and missing this crucial truth that we are in desperate need of a Savior. Verse 3, we're going to go back to verse 3 in 1 John. It says this. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have, read that next word with me, fellowship with us and our, what's that word again? Fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now that word fellowship in Christianity means we're about to eat. Right? We're going to go to the fellowship hall. We're going to have our dinner at the fellowship hall. This is where we gather. This is where we eat. We've kind of co-opted that word to mean one specific meaning of fellowship. But the greater idea of fellowship is that if Christmas is true, then we have a basis for a relationship with God. We have this koinia, the Greek word is, this fellowship, this ability to have a relationship with God. God is no longer a remote idea or just a force but we can know him personally. He's within our grasp now. And if Jesus Christ is actually God come in the flesh, you're going to to know much more about God. He's going to be graspable. He's going to be someone you can relate to. You're going to see him weep in Scripture. You're going to see him being upset. You're going to see him cast down. You're going to see him exalted. And our understanding will be vastly more personal than specific than any philosophy could give us. I mean, think about it. Look at what God had to do so that you could know him personally. Now, if the son would come all this way to become a real person to you, don't you think that the Holy Spirit will do anything in his power to make Jesus a real person to you in your heart? And Christmas is just an invitation for you to recognize your need for a savior. It's an invitation to know him personally. It's an invitation by God to say, look... Look at what I've done to come near to you. Now draw nigh to me. I mean, this is what Jesus did to come nigh to you. He left the glories of heaven. He put on flesh. Was born of a virgin in a stable in a barn under dirty, dirty circumstances. He lived a sinless, perfect life. Um, he was ostracized. He was uh, betrayed by his best friend. He was um, he was ridiculed. He was betrayed uh, by those that knew him. He was spat upon. He was beaten. He was um, he was uh, tortured. He was crucified. All those, all so that he could come near to you. This is an invitation from God to get to know him personally. And this is what Jesus has done to draw nigh to you. Think about all the circumstances that led to you sitting in the chair that you're sitting in right now. Think about all the different relationships that had to work its way in perfect order so that you know the people you know today, that you're friends with the people you're friends with today, that you're family with the family that you're with today, so that you could be sitting in this blue chair. Or pew. Think about all of the things that had to happen in your life just for this moment to appear. And you know what we do with Christmas? We take Christmas and we turn it into this selfish, odd time of the year where we celebrate the birth of Jesus by focusing on ourself. Ooh, You see what we mean by we're going to unwrap Christmas? We're going to try to get to the place where celebrating Jesus means way more than just self-absorbed time of year that's so easy for us to slip into. This is an invitation from Jesus to just draw near. So Christmas is... Christmas, I should say, will make you realize your need for a Savior. And then, if Christmas is doctrinal, if you really believe that Jesus took on flesh and came and was born and died so that you could have eternal life, and if it really is historical, like if these things actually happen and, and the record of them is accurate as preserved in Scriptures, and Jesus really did walk on water, and he really did heal uh, Jairus' daughter, and if he really did do all these things, and if the disciples, what they said is really true, if all those things are historically true— It'll make you realize your need for a Savior, but it will also make you prioritize relationships. You see, the incarnation imprints on us an attitude towards relationship. And Jesus goes through this extraordinary measures to simply say... I want fellowship with you. I want to be in your life. I want a relationship with you. And the test that you know what Christmas is about is you become more desirous of intimate personal relationships with other people. So think about your own life and think about what it's like for you to have an intimate personal relationship with others. And think about the tension that you have in your life, maybe, to put up walls, to, uh, to put up barriers between you and others. Now, what's funny is most of us, when we think about walls, we think, well, I don't put up walls, Daniel. Like, and we think about walls, and we think about huge walls. But, but if, if we're really honest, most of us have walls, and they're about, you know, they're about this high, right? Right? they're just high enough so you can see over them. They're just high enough, so you can see what's going on on their social media. They're just high enough, so you can see what's going on in their world. They're just high enough, so you can cast stones at someone, right? They're just high enough, so you can look in and peek into other's lives, but they're also just high enough, so they can't see your heart. They're just high enough, so they can't see where you're living. They're just high enough, so they never enter into that space, Now, if you will embrace Christmas this season, it means that you will prioritize relationships. And we're not talking about the next 30 days. We're talking about for the rest of your life. You'll prioritize relationships. You'll prioritize what that means. You'll prioritize um, forgiveness. You'll prioritize hope. You'll prioritize trusting people. You'll prioritize loving people. The next few weeks, we're going to get down and dirty on Sunday mornings and talk about what unwrapping Christmas looks like in terms of really embracing who we're called to be in the midst of this season. Is it possible to be friends with uh, someone who speaks another language? Sure it is. Sure it is. There's some things that probably need to happen if you're going to be friends with someone who speaks another language. You're probably going to have to learn how to communicate with that person, right? doesn't mean you get fluent in the other language, but that would help. It means that, uh, it means that if you're friends with someone who speaks another language, it means Google Translate is probably really close to you, right? It's probably an often used app. It means that you start learning phrases, right? I think one of the most beautiful things is when I get to visit another country and uh, I speak a little bit of Spanish. I don't speak a whole lot. But uh, when we were in Guatemala earlier this year and, um, on that missions trip and you go to these remote jungles in Ishkan and they just look at you and they know you're from outer space. They can't prove it, but they know. I remember we were teaching in that class, and we uh, were teaching some 20, 25 ministry students in the morning and then at night, and, and we showed them a globe, and we, picture, and we showed them where Roseburg was, right, on this globe. And then I showed them where India was. And then I showed them where Southern California was and how I got to Roseburg. And, and then we traveled to Texas, I believe, and then... And then we got on a port and we landed in Antigua and then we drove and, and we showed them where we had come from. And then the first time I was able to have a conversation with some of them in Spanish, you know what that does for someone to be able to communicate in the language that they're accustomed to? Right? And all of a sudden a part of their heart opens up and their eyes kind of light up. And then because you said, I like basketball, they start talking to you like at 120 words per minute on, on, on whatever they're talking in Spanish. And you're like, whoa, 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 you got to slow down, right? But you now have identified common language. And if you follow the way of Jesus, you're going to be able to say this, I, I will not work so much on being understood, but I'm going to be more understanding. I will not work so much on getting my needs met this season, but I'm going to do my very best to meet the needs of those around me. I will work on entering into people's worlds and giving that person what they consider love, not what I consider love. If it's important to you, if the incarnation of Jesus has imprinted in onto you, Jesus Christ is going to make you unbelievably good at relationships. So, unwrapping Christmas, what does this look like? Well, first, this is not, this is not a holiday that celebrates, uh, that celebrates just a story. We're celebrating doctrine. How beautiful is it that we have a holiday that celebrates doctrine, that celebrates literally Jesus putting on flesh and coming down and being one of us. So, it's, it's 100% doctrinal, and it is historical. Do not let yourself be tempted to believe that this time of year is fairy tales. Don't believe that it's, uh, that it's, it's mystical in the sense that um, it's something that's made up. It is a historical day that is 100% doctrinal. And if we embrace those two things, well, first, you're gonna realize your need for a Savior. You say, what does that mean, Daniel? Well, that means this. That means that at this point in your life, you say, man, I have tried my whole life to live for God's approval. And I give up. I'm just going to claim his gift of salvation. I'm going to claim it right now. I draw a line in the sand that says, everything after this day, I'm going to try to live in the light of his love. And I'm going to proclaim him as my Lord. Boy, if you've never made that commitment in your life, if this is the first time you're hearing about this kind of challenge where it resonates with you, I would encourage you to reach out, maybe with the people that brought you today, maybe with myself, uh, maybe, maybe with one of our elders and just say, man, I, I, I need to make this relationship personal. I have seen God. I want to meet him now. I have seen him in the congregation of the church, but I have never met him. If that's you today, I encourage you to unwrap Christmas this year in making a decision for him. Now, for most of us, what this also means is this. It means that we're going to be challenged to prioritize relationships. We're going to be challenged in the midst of this busy, chaotic, crazy, festive, awesome, worry-filled, stressful time of year to prioritize relationships. So that when things are just out of place, you can see the relationship instead of the chaos. So that when, you're, uh, when your budget is way tighter than it normally is, you can look past the budget Make the wise decision and prioritize the relationship. It means that when someone is having unrealistic expectations of you, it means you can look past that, forgive them, set healthy boundaries, but prioritize the relationship. In fact, when we get out of this Christmas season, we should be closer to the people we love, not farther. You ever go through a holiday and think, my goodness, I'm so glad I don't have to see them again way too many of you laughing and nodding your heads, right? So how do we just, how do we figure this out and make this a Christmas where we prioritize relationships? This is Unwrapping Christmas. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.